will find you. And I will kill you. Yeah. I am the walrus. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Just been revoked. Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Because it is my name! I see Dave. Today, Junior? Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Like scary Uh huh. What's your favorite scary movie? The price is wrong, bitch. I get asked most often is, Tony, how do you go to the bathroom in a suit? Just like that. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And we are continuing our journey through our MCU franchise review with episode three, Iron Man 2. And I am joined by my constant co-host, as I will give <laughs> some... Uh, some flack for having to be a best man at his brother's wedding, but it's just a, a minor excuse, right, Leslie? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> who who cares about getting married? Come on, it's not a big deal. Uh, so yes, he, he he had uh, he had bigger and better things to do. So uh, he he even told me he's like, oh man, that would have been really fun, but I got Bob's wedding. I said, yeah, we weren't planning on you being here. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a very complex schedule uh, compared compared to the rest of us. We work normal jobs. He does not. So uh, where our weekends are free, his weekends are his work weeks. So shots fired. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sure he'll have some uh, some great comeback uh, to hit me with. So it, it is uh, it is the nature of our 20 plus year friendship. So. <laughs> All right. Um, so if you've heard our little stinger here before our intro Tony's little how does he go to the bathroom in the in the suit about sums up my thoughts on Iron Man 2 <laughs> yeah, um, I was more partial to sir I need to please ask you to exit the donut sir I'm gonna have to ask you to exit the donut yes Iron Man 2 Iron Man 2 is it's, it, it's a movie uh, it's 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 an MCU movie. It, I, I think it's uh, definitely the first entry of mediocre Marvel movies, uh, which we'll get a handful of them. I mean, 20 plus films. You're, not all of them are going to be 
Iron Man or Avengers Endgame level. Um, but I, I will say I remember when I saw it in theaters because I, I did see it at a midnight screening um, and then forgot the time of my uh, anthropology exam the next morning and was barely in time to actually take the test for my my final. Um, but it, I remember enjoying it at the time I saw it. But every subsequent rewatch I enjoy it less and less. Um, what about you? So this might be interesting. Oh, well, it's going to be interesting, but... <laughs> all right. <laughs> I actually don't feel like it's that bad. So for me, there are other entries in the MCU that are worse than this. Well, I would and, agree with that. And to me, this is like, if we're grading on like an A scale, you know, like your, your school card, A, B, C, D. For me, this is like a just a B. You know, it's not terrible, it's not lower than that. And I feel like there are others that are like lower than, than this one. Uh, agree to disagree. Um, <laughs> See, we don't always agree on everything. Right. Right. Um, so I think what kind of causes my main problem with, with this film um, isolated from out of the greater MCU and everything is it does what Spider-Man three did. And kind of gave us emo Tony Stark. Now, not as bad as as emo Peter Parker. I, I will I will say that it's not as bad. Um, so I think had um, had not Spider-Man three did what it did with Peter, that this maybe wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't have this preconceived notion about how I feel about Tony going through his drama that he goes through in this film, um, because it, it's it's too reminiscent of that and it hits too much on the nose and it, it just it's like come on you know do, do we do we need to see a man who's in his you know late 30s maybe early 40s kind of be emo about about his life but um there are good moments in this film and i will say there are, uh it's uh, a sandwich so you've got a good you know good part top of your bread and you got a whole lot of junk in the middle of it. And then you got a good end piece of your of your sandwich. <laughs> um, I like how it starts off, you know, it kind of re- does a quick recap without having to really give you too much uh, exposition on what happened in the first film. Uh, and we're seeing it through the eyes of Anton Vanko. Uh, or, no, yeah, well, he's Anton the is TV. the father. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but we see it through Ivan uh, Vanko's uh, eyes. Uh, played pretty well by Mickey Rourke. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, as much as I don't like the villain in the story, and I think it's mainly because he's not used to the full extent that they could have used him in it. Um, I know that he actually spent some time in like a Russian prison to kind of get the vibe and the energy and how they talk to each other to kind of understand his character a little bit better. And I think that that was good preparation and that is what kind of leads a little bit of authenticity to his performance. Yeah. Um, and the, this, this film is really meant to be about fathers and sons, you know, because it's, it's kind of like if you listen to our Loki review and we were talking about two sides of the same coin with Loki of a good mm-hmm. side and a bad side, uh, and in fact, even Nick Fury says, you know, Anton is the other side of that coin. Um, we don't it's it never really becomes about that. And I think that that's because Justin Hammer is used as a an in-between villain 
instead of just being a villain himself outright, um, instead of making him kind of another ironmonger like we had with Jeff Bridges in the first film, uh, they they just kind of wanted to have an ancillary comedy villain because he's very <laughs> inept and yeah. uh, not good at what he does and is always trying to outshine Tony Stark, which could have made for an interesting villain in of itself. Um, so I think that that's part of what I find in the construction of this film. But I like the opening. I like the Stark Expo uh, opening and everything. Um yeah, but and then even even the introduction of of his chess piece killing him, because uh, that is sort of a bit of the comics lore. Uh, he did have to constantly replace cores because they would time out and, you know, he'd have to get a new one in to keep his heart going and everything. But, um, yeah, it starts out strong. Um, let's turn it <laughs> over to you. OK, <laughs> Well, like at this point in the MCU, I don't know how far ahead they'd really planned. I feel like they maybe thought, oh, we could maybe get to Avengers at this point. I think at this point, if I'm remembering correctly, and I'm sorry to kind of jump in on you, um, they knew uh, Avengers was going to happen. Okay, Um, yeah, because they have the references to Thor. Right. Like clear references to Thor. Images from basically the movie. And also, uh, we have the Hulk stuff at the end. Um, So, yeah, this they knew going in that Avengers was going to be happening. Right. Um, So I I feel like just from that perspective, like they have a vague idea that they're going to be building forward to something. So the only issue that I would say I like big issue I have with the Iron Man movies, like, Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3 is that I don't feel like they do anything for the rest of the MCU. Whereas I feel like when we get a sequel to other ones, especially the Captain America movies, we actually really move the plot of the entire MCU along. But I also feel like the Iron Man movies are reflective of the character they're supposed to be reflective about, and they all focus on him, and he's a narcissist. So I'm kind of like... It, it works, but also I feel like they're just kind of narcissistically focused in on Tony himself because this whole movie is like he's riding high, you know, at the, from that beginning with the the Stark Expo. He's just, you know, on his cloud. Of course, you know, they do show us that he's getting the blood toxicity level, but I'm a, like for a, a narcissist. This level of notoriety, fame, like I've privatized world peace and stuff. He is riding so high on his own, you know, whatever, his own news drug for him. It's like putting gasoline on on a flame, just tossing it on, you know, even more. That I feel like that's what most of this movie is about, is just him dealing with his own ego. And then I feel like it's kind of the same thing that happens in Iron Man 3, is him dealing with his own ego in various ways. So when I watch the sequels to Iron Man, I'm just kind of like, eh, like I, I go in there like with the expectation that this is a popcorn movie that I'm going to enjoy, like Transformers or something. And not mm. like this is going to, I'm so invested like winter soldier or civil war. And this is going to have huge ramifications for the rest of the MCU that this is just like, this is a popcorn movie. I'm just going to have a good time tonight, you know, put this on and enjoy. So I'm going to, I'm going to contradict you a little bit. 
Um, not so no, much on never. <laughs> <laughs> not so much on it uh, on your criticism that it doesn't seem to feel like it has a greater impact on the MCU. Because I will agree with you there. Like whereas um, you know Winter Soldier really advances uh, the story and Cap's character and events that later on have greater impact with with the other films. Um, but this. Again, going kind of back to if you've listened to our, our Loki review, this is uh, continuing a character study. Uh, and like you were talking about, this really focuses on his narcissism, but it also focuses on his uh, own mortality um, because he has this constant fear of, well, I have nothing that's going to fix me. I'm going to be dying. I don't know how to tell Pepper. Um and I'm going to take these really rash and, and crazy ideas and, you know, just try to go Run out in a ball of a ball of flame, essentially. Yeah. Um, and and it's also a look at legacy because um, they, I, I, they kind of do the Walt Disney thing with the world of tomorrow type deal with his father. And uh, this is our first instance of seeing John Slattery play um, Howard Stark, which I think was a very good casting decision because he does such a a good job with it. Uh, and then we get to see him through spatterings out of other non Iron Man films. Um, and then his, you know, most notable appearance in Endgame. Um, and so it's, it's this, you know, legacy of his father. What legacy is he going to leave behind? Um, and, and facing that own mortality and trying to not be a narcissist. Cause that is what drives him to do. Most of his actions is his narcissism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's why he d- drives the you know fires the race car driver in Monaco and decides as an untrained you know Formula One race driver to go out on the tracks. Uh, it's why he has his ridiculous birthday party, uh, his fight with Rhodey, um, and then it's kind of getting slapped in the face by by Fury uh, that he really starts looking at things and then revisiting the old footage of his dad and hearing the message his dad has for him that his dad could never tell him himself. Um, so I, that's the aspects of this film. I do enjoy Uh the problems I really do have with it though, is it's a very underdeveloped villain. Like they have a good, a good story there. You have him being the son of Anton who worked with, with, uh, Howard. And you have this idea of maybe Howard stole the idea of the arc reactor from Anton and then, uh, deported him back to Russia to kind of keep that, that invention to himself. And now you have uh, Ivan who is trying to avenge his father's legacy and take that name back. Um, but it never gets looked at to its full extent. Um, because you have Justin Hammer, who's played fantastic by Sam Rockwell. Um, (laughs) like for what his character does for the film or what he was written to do for the film, he does an amazing job. But even there you have, what could have been an interesting villain in on in of himself. Um, and I think what I also don't like about this film is they decide to make it an, another, basically another man in a suit being the villain. Um, yeah. because we already had that with Ironmonger. We didn't really need it with whiplash. Um, I almost would have been fine. Had we just seen him in kind of the exo suit as a main villain for that? Cause he's not relying on Iron Man tech really uh, yeah. outside of the arc reactor to, to try to take revenge on Tony. Um, and then, you know, you finally kind of get that change with Iron Man three. And then by Iron Man three, we're pretty much done with any type of <laughs> other Iron Man villains. 
so I think it was like kind of like it feels like they're dipping back into the well of Iron Man one a little bit and just going, yeah, we can't think of any other really cool, interesting villains to to bring into the franchise. Um, you know, this would have been a great point to bring in the Mandarin if they really wanted to at that point um, and introduce that concept of science versus technology. And then we can explore it furthermore in Thor. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to complain that this is the movie we got because it is still a staple within the MCU. I don't think we get the Tony in Endgame if Tony doesn't go through the events of this film. Mm-hmm. So as much as I might bash on it or or call it mediocre or or I, I don't like it as much as the other ones, it does serve a very good purpose for the character study of Tony Stark. Yeah, but this is... This is like like we were just talking about Loki being a character study. Like this could be a one hour episode for Tony instead of oh, yeah. to be an entire movie. <laughs> but I do also think that we got to remember again that this is like the beginning of the fledgling little baby MCU that's still right. maybe in its egg, just like peeking out a little bit through a crack, you know, and hasn't like fully been born yet. That I think a lot of sequels at that same time kind of have this format that like. This is what, you know, worked really well with our episode one of whatever it is. So let's just kind of take that and build on a little bit. And ta-da, here's our sequel. And it kind of just follows that same pattern for the time, I feel like. Yeah, it might be playing it a little bit safe. Yeah. Um, but I, it's, so I, I think my other kind of criticism of it is that it it uh, it takes too much time for Tony to be in the suit. And, and I don't mean that he's not in the suit, like, cause he's in the suit within about the first 40 minutes, uh, <laughs> and then a bit about bit around the hour mark. And then at the, about the hour and a half mark, but it's, he doesn't have really any grand spectacles in the suit. Like it, it made sense in the first film to only have him in the suit for about two sequences because you're, you're establishing the character of Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. Um, and him kind of coming into or discovering his ability as Iron Man. Um, this should have been exploring Iron Man a little bit more than necessarily focusing on Tony, because if you focus on Iron Man a little bit more than Tony, then when you get to Iron Man three, where you're back to focusing on Tony more without the suit, it makes more sense as a trilogy of films for character development. Do you think that it would have been better if they had saved the um, palladium poisoning or whatever for Iron Man three, so that Iron Man two focuses, like you said, on Iron Man and him developing in that way. And then Iron Man three can be a focus on Tony thinking about his imminent death and maybe the possibility of, you know, when he went in the Avengers and saw all that and blew up, like he could have all of that going on trauma and stress and, Oh my God, I'm also dying and do it um, that way. No, not necessarily. Cause I think you still could have done, um, the palladium poisoning in this film and still focused on what you focus on in, in Iron Man three, because I think the palladium poisoning is, uh, is a perfect jump to the next point from Iron Man one, because, we never really saw him using it. Now, what accelerates the the poisoning is his over-reliance on the suits. Uh-huh. So I think that you have to have that dueling nature of him combating. Well, because you like you talked about, you're going on that you're on that high, you're on that rush. You're this new hero, privatized, you know, uh, yeah. secure the world peace and everything. 
uh, that now it's become his dependency to be in the suit all the time. And then you go into Iron Man three with now he has no suits really. Uh, mm-hmm. and having to learn how to be back to Tony. Um, so I think you could have balanced out the palladium poisoning and his over-reliance on the suit and trying to just be Iron Man uh, and still get about the same film that we got. Uh, but it would have made more sense then when we get Iron Man 3 when you spend like an hour and 30 minutes with him completely out of the suit, you know? Right. <laughs> um, so I, I love the Monaco. Uh, oh, well, before we get to Monaco, I love the Congress um, scene. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, RIP Gary Shandling, but you do fantastic as Senator Stern. And as we <laughs> find out later, and it makes complete sense, he's part of Hydra. Right. Um, but I love their back and forth in, in that whole sequence. And, and it also shows how versatile of an actor I, I think Robert Downey Jr. is because he's able to balance the seriousness with his kind of over the top comedic aspect. And, you know, he's kind of switching back and forth. And I, I love like the way he delivers the line about, uh, you know, if I were to turn over the suit, that would be turning myself over, um, <laughs> which is uh, akin to uh, in, indentured servitude or in some States prostitution. And Gary <laughs> Shandling comes back with uh what, what did he say? Oh, I'm not an expert in that. And, and prostitutions, no, you're a senator. Of course not. Like that whole, the way that that's delivered and it's just back, 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 back and forth. Yeah. It feels like it's actually a real conversation that's going on, that this was a, would, if we could see that happening in our Congress today. I also like that they're showing that the American government's having a response and thought yes. on these things. Because a lot of times in these superhero shows or movies and things like that, you never see like, what the government thinks about that or, you know, aside from, well, maybe your local police force is like, here's a vigilante or whatever. But like, obviously if somebody built something like that, the U S government would be knocking on your door to be like, um, excuse me, sir, we're taking this, right. <laughs> you know, this obvious weapon. It's ours now, like actually having this kind of a reaction. And, and, um, to kind of dive a little bit Outside of the MCU, um, one of the really cool things that was done uh, in the Earth One graphic novels that DC has done is um, after the end of volume one of Superman, one of the things is is Superman in volume two, like goes into the Middle East and causes a whole kerfuffle over there. And then you have the government responding like, hey, you can't just act unilaterally. And this was kind of done within Batman v Superman a little bit. Uh, So it is kind of nice to see that government response. Uh, as well as, you know, we do also get the introduction of Rhodey, but also Rhodey kind of running that line between friend and um, and soldier to the government, you know, mm-hmm. because he's like, you want me to read selected portions of a vast statement, you know, or, yeah. or report I've got. Completely and out then, of context. And yet he still manages to kind of fit in the context of what he was saying. Um, and. You also have the, well, if you're ever waiting for an expert because they don't show up, you have Justin Hammer there <laughs> commenting on on these potential other uh, uses of, of the suit, uh, you know, other countries developing it, because that becomes a real thing. Mm-hmm. In fact, I remember when the film came out a little bit later, my dad even sent me a newspaper article where they were talking about how they were trying to develop an actual like real life flight suit like Iron Man. Um, so it's like it's like the government kind of borrowing from our, our fiction and stuff like that, because it's yeah. 
it's something that can actually happen in the real world. Now, one thing that, oh, go ahead. sorry to jump in, no, but fine. just like the one thing about like a real life Iron Man suit that always just gets me is because you think about like knights in armor, like that would be so uncomfortable to get hit in that. Yeah. If you fall or anything, ever like, cause every time they have a fight scenes, you know, it's a total suspension of the disbelief because I'm, you know, if you really think about like knights in armor, it's really a lot about how much damage they can cause to each other, not necessarily having to cut each other because of the impact damage of hitting somebody else with all of that on them. And I I always think like, oh, it's got to hurt. Every time they like slam into a wall or something, I'm like, oh, God, well, then, it's got to hurt. That actually kind of comes into my next point, because this is uh, an actual tie to Doctor Strange, uh, which people do tend to misconstrue with it being something that's tied to Civil War. We see Hammer's prototype. Um, oh. and, uh, it doesn't go well for the pilot involved, <laughs> but he survived, um, he survived. <laughs> and that is actually the, uh, call that, um, Stephen Strange gets in his car before his accident is referring to that test pilot and not Rhodey in the war machine outfit. Um, I know I had to, uh, um, disabuse my sister-in-law of that because she had sent me someone I guess had done a TikTok video and was like have you ever and it, typically when it comes to these easter egg type references I'm like yes I, I, I can make it past three three words of your have did you ever notice or did you ever catch uh and so she plays the you know the clip of him getting the phone call and then showing the clip of Rhodey falling and, and going in for surgery and I had to tell her I was like well unfortunately uh, that is not tied to that as actually tied to uh, Justin Hammer. And she didn't even remember about um, the the Hammer pilot. But uh, we also get Don Cheadle for the first time as Rhodey. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I love Don Cheadle and I love Terrence <laughs> Howard. Yeah. And it's it's I still kind of want to see how Terrence Howard would have done this, you know, yeah. um, but I I. I think Don Cheadle has done a good job of picking it up. I think he's tried to keep a little bit of the lightness to uh, Terrence Howard's performance, but still being he hits a little bit more hard on the seriousness. And that's yeah. later on in, in the film as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I I don't have much to say about the the replacement uh, other than I would have liked to have seen what Terrence Howard could have done. Um, but I do like Don as as Rhodey. I do too. It's it's with things like this, it always makes me, like you said, I, I wonder how Terrence Howard would have done it. But then I'm also kind of like, could we go back and redo Iron Man one and just leave it, make it dawn so that we can have like a CGI out. Yeah, Terrence Howard. Just, I, I don't mean to like get rid of somebody, but it's like that obsessive compulsive, like, can we just have it all be the same person? Or, you know, like when, um, your authors or whatever, whoever's publishing a book series suddenly changes how they do the spine and then yeah. they don't all match when they're on the shelf. And I'm like, man, why did you do that? Like, well, and it even goes to mind too. Uh, I remember like when the Harry Potter films were coming out, they were contemplating once they were getting into the later years, like, will we need to replace our actors as Ron, Harry and Hermione um, to adjust for like the aging. If, if, uh, you know, Daniel Radcliffe and them like all aged a little bit quicker, hit puberty quicker than, than they were expecting yeah, to movies. like, would they replace them? And it's like, you, you can't, you can't do that. Like yeah. it would have been those, those films wouldn't be as good if we had 
actors changing throughout the different periods. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, basically I grew up with them, you know, I like I, I, had, I was reading the books along with going to the movies as the movies were releasing and like roughly the same age as, as all of the actors. So it's like, I grew up with them in those movies. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things where it's always a risky bet. And I understand that this is why they're so hesitant to replace Chadwick Boseman. But we did adapt to Don and we've adapted to other actors doing it in roles past. And I, I think that it would be a disservice to the character of Black Panther if you just go, now we're just going to kill him off. Because that just cuts off a whole potential storylines and character arcs and character development that we could have gotten. And as sad as it is that he passed away so young, it, it's and I understand you want to honor his memory, but. Maybe for that for that Black Panther film, you do a, a Stan Lee thing, you know, where you do the Marvel logo and it's it's pictures of Chadwick you know, him, to yeah. honor him and 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 do the movie in his honor. But we we aren't in charge of those uh, decisions, so they won't. And that's not the one we're talking us. about today. No. <laughs> um, so kind of moving on with the story, you know, we get, we have Tony again dealing with the palladium poisoning. Uh, we have him signing over the company to Pepper. Um and uh, and also the introduction of uh, Natasha or what yeah. was Natalie, Natalie Rushman. Yeah. Uh, and instead of oogling her, he's Googling her uh, <laughs> uh, as she kind of as the infiltration of uh, Black Widow into the MCU for the first time. So um, I remember and it's kind of funny now because everyone's speculating who's going to get cast for Fantastic Four and how people want John Krasinski and Emily Blunt since they're a real life married couple. Uh, Emily Blunt, I believe, was the original pick for Black Widow, Black Widow. Um, before they finally settled on Scarlett Johansson. I think Emily Blunt had to actually back out due to a scheduling conflict. Uh, and that's again, it's like one of those things where you're just like you wonder what that actor would have done differently because now that we've seen her through a series of films, like Scarlett Johansson really did embody Black Widow and has done, even within this film in of itself, did a really good, like I was impressed because I'm, I'm sitting there going, uh, Scarlett Johansson. Like, I don't really know her that much. I've seen her in perfect score and a couple (laughs) other films. Like, eh, I don't know. And, and and she blew it out of the water. Yeah. I mean, I only have one complaint with her showing here and it's, I mean, it's not, it's not even her. I'm sure it's whoever did her hair or whatever, mm-hmm. but there's the, when we're towards the end of the movie and she's, you know, in the black widow suit or whatever, something with her hair, the curls, like it looks really, really fake to me. Like, I'm sure they might've, I mean, it could be fake or they might've dyed her hair and permed it, but either way, however they had it, I, it was, it was a bad hit out of that park. Don't like it. Let's, I could. I have no comment. <laughs> I, I, well, you know, maybe it's just something that I just picked up on because, like, as as her character goes through, and you know, when we see her, she's had much better hair. Yeah. But in that particular instance, I don't know. It it was just not good. It was like because it's like spaghetti. It's like it looks really fake. It it looks like cur, you know curls of spaghetti or whatever, like hanging off her head. It was just bad. It was just bad. <laughs> Again, I, I never I really it noticed else. it. Never, <laughs> never. I, I might have to watch time. it again. I'll take a look. Um, and, and then we get to Monaco. And um, 
of course, it took me like years later. Of course, back when the movie released, I didn't know who Elon Musk was. Uh, oh, I know. It's, yeah. so, it's so funny now. Yeah. Now, nowadays, it's like the Dogecoin guy, like <laughs> SpaceX, uh, Tesla, the bad cyberpunk car. Um, yeah, it's it's really interesting to see his cameo in there. Oh, we we did kind of miss one little thing um, back at the beginning, but uh, back at the expo, we get our first run in with the kid. And now that that has been retconned, which we'll talk about later. Um, But uh, yeah, Monaco is kind of a a fun scene, um, especially for Tony, because it's this first run in with Justin since the hearing. And we have the Vanity Fair uh, reporter (laughs) back. That is one of those things. We're back to, like I said, when she... Um, first trashed her in the first movie. Sometimes I take out the trash or whatever. Like having those like on point banter, man. Yeah. I love it. The, love it. She did quite a spread on Tony last Her year. Story too. <laughs> <laughs> but then it also shows how uh, unimportant or uninteresting Justin is to other people because she's immediately like, I need to get uh, one peppers. Now the CEO. Uh, so now I need to talk to you for our, uh, women in business, uh, piece. And my editor will go nuts on that. And then like, once the stuff's going on with him racing, she's like, Oh, I'll be right back. And he's like, (laughs) come on, (laughs) you know? Um, which again, like, this is what I'm saying. Like if the, if Justin had just been the focus as the villain, it, it probably would have worked better. Or if they would have just focused on Ivan, it would have worked better. You have two villains who are not really meshing well. Uh, they both have their own personal motivations to go with Tony. And I think each could have been explored on their own without having to rely on the other. It's kind of the same problem that we had in Wonder Woman 84, where we yeah. get two villains and neither of them are really developed enough. And in that movie, of course, like I said, my thoughts is that I don't feel villainous like things from either of them. I just feel sorry for both of their characters. Once they give us a little more, this is like, I mean, I could definitely see, um, um, whiplash. I keep, Ivan. Okay. I was about to say Anton. I'm like, no, that's not it. You about fell into my (laughs) trap that I did. (laughs) But I can see Ivan's kind of like chaotic, neutral, like going towards evil. Just yeah. because of the way he, you know, he was raised. And he, and he is a killer. like Right. He has, like, killed people and stuff. and But I don't, I mean, he's, I don't feel like he's totally, like, out for anything. Like, I'm going to rule the world. He's just trying to, like you said, defend, like, avenge his father's legacy yeah. and kind of tarnish Tony's. That's really all about him, wants. like, killing people. It's, it's only when it's directed towards that that purpose. Right. Like he's just not right. going out like killing people for the joy of killing people. Right. But he he's is not a killer. like the bad, like the big bad Thanos coming in. And then Justin Hammer is kind of the same where he's, he's kind of the character. I feel kind of like, I don't even feel sorry for him. He's just there to be funny. And I'm just enjoy Sam Rockwell's performance because he's, right. he's so inept. Like, I just don't, the way that they portrayed him here, I could not see him as an actual villain in any way to Tony because he's so inept at what he does that if maybe he had been like an actual adept, uh, other weapons developer or technology developer, that would be really interesting to see the two sides kind of go against each other. But just as he is here, he's too comedic for me to take seriously. Well, th- there's, there's something that they could have done there too, is his ineptitude piled on the embarrassment caused by Tony 
drives him to, the, to then actually create something. You know, that like, that's like, real. Yeah. Like that's that's the way I could have seen them handle it is is that ineptitude and, and, and coupled with that embarrassment is what then finally is the drive for him to excel and then to use that to laud it over Tony or to take and show Tony is nothing compared to him. And like, that's, that's where I'm like, this is where you fall when you're trying to develop both of these villains at the same time. Yeah. Um, and instead he just is that comedic foil where you're like, mm -hmm. this guy couldn't get anything. Done. <laughs> Can't find his own keys. Yeah. <laughs> Glasses Can't even are on find the head. right bird. <laughs> I want my bird. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like the bird? Do you not like the bird? <laughs> uh, oh, and then his, uh, after he breaks him out of prison, like it, his intentionally bad spray on tan, where like <laughs> his hands are darker than his face. Yeah. Is, is, is also part of that just kind of comedic aspect yeah. that they give him. Um, so yeah, we get the, we get the racing sequence. We get, Anton out there, uh, or Anton. See, so easy to say Anton versus Ivan. Vanko. Uh, Vanko, or Whiplash, as he will now be further uh, <laughs> recognized. And I will probably say Anton any more numerous times before we end the episode. Um, going out there, wreaking havoc, uh, and getting catching Tony completely off guard. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the nice things that I caught this time watching it is as... Uh, Happy and um, Pepper are trying to get the suitcase suit to to Tony. Um, I finally and maybe it's the aspect ratio because it's widescreen on home screen or maybe I was actually like looking for it for the first time or wasn't even actually intentionally looking for it. Uh, but when they're about to round the corner to hit um, Vanko, I could actually see the car coming around the corner, you know, in the background oh, yeah. while it was the camera was focused on Anton. Or, I told you I was going to say Anton. Um <laughs> On Vanko. prophecy. Um, and so that was kind of cool within, you know, knowing what comes next and actually seeing kind of the thing Incoming. happening in the background. Yeah. Uh, so then you get the cool kind of funny thing of, man, I haven't taken a, a vacation in, in X amount of time. And and this is how it turns out. I'm in the middle of a fight. Uh, <laughs> but I love I love the suitcase suit. Uh, yeah, that was pretty I, cool. Yeah, it, the way it comes on, the way he activates it. Um, and there's one thing I will say about these earlier suits, even though I do like the sleeker suits that we see later on, there is something that's still kind of more appealing about these bulkier, um, less smooth pieces that he has, these earlier marks of armor, because I, I don't know why. I, I really don't. But there's just something more appealing to the eye um, for me. Like, I, I kind of like the mask more then the mask you see in uh, Infinity War in game, it looks a little bit better. But like with Infinity War, it was like it was just too smooth. Like you don't have like the mouth slit because of the piece going up and yeah. stuff like that, that it, it loses kind of some of that character to it that that these earlier armor types have. That sort uh, of stuff kind of reminds me of the difference between like practical makeup and then when you're doing CGI to something. And yeah. for me, the biggest difference is like in Lord of the Rings versus The Hobbit, how intimidating and scary the Urukai are in Lord of the Rings, and how not they are in The Hobbit. Well, <laughs> because they're, they're, they're CGI. not Urukai in The Hobbit. Well, they're but well, they're orcs, but, I, but still, they're they're the all CGI. Is valid. Yes. Yeah, they're all CGI, and they do not have that same effect 
as when you see the Urukai and the orcs in Lord of the Rings and it's practical makeup and they like look actually scary. Well, and one of the other things too, uh, with the, um, with the Hobbit ones is they had a mix of some that were practical and some that were CG and the more, more were CG than they were practical, mm-hmm. but it, it, it didn't, it didn't help with that. No, uh, no. And that's, I, maybe that is also part of what goes into this is these, these earlier suits look, even though for the most part they are CGI, they look more realistic. Yeah. Whereas the later suits, <coughs> excuse me, take on more of a, that CGI effect. Like it looks less real. Mm-hmm. Um, the way he activates it, obviously like nanobots and stuff like that, it, it loses a little bit of that authenticity feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then obviously bad guy goes to jail. <laughs> Tony's trying to figure out why he's coming after him. Uh, again, we get that kind of government um, response, you know, saying like, Hey, he told us that it would be 10, 20 years. But these suits are here. They're now, Um, you know, so we got Tony dealing all with that, dealing with this poisoning. Um, Justin, you know, obviously takes some inspiration from uh, Ivan's uh, performance (laughs) out Monaco. Uh, So he breaks him out of jail, uh, gets him and he wants his bird. Um, I want my bird. (laughs) and, And they and they enter into their deal. Uh, and I'm going to just kind of jump ahead a lot because there's the rest of it kind of just moves really fast, uh, for, for the film. And I'm not saying like pacing wise or anything like that, but it's, you know, you have the big fight with Tony and Rhodey, which I think is a great fight. Uh, although it would have been more kind of appealing again, if it had been Terrence Howard going and getting the, uh, silver suit, uh, because of that whole, you know, next time, next time, Mm -hmm. um, but I do like that 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 fight. Um, it, it's it also kind of shows that dueling nature of like Rhodey again being kind of more of the soldier and going like, hey, you've got to take this seriously, and Tony going on his self destructive path. Yeah. Uh, and then we get obviously the uh, the aftermath with Justin kind of coming in and oh, I'm going to upgrade everything. I got all these cool <laughs> guns. I got the ex wife and all that stuff and. Um, and you have Anton developing the drones for for Hammer instead of uh, actually making suits. Soldiers, yeah. Um, and then we have kind of what is this, even though it's not like a long sequence, it's probably what's the slowest part of the film for me. And that's, um, you know, Nick Fury coming in there, waking him up a little bit, giving him a temporary cure, revealing uh, that uh, Natalie is Natasha and, uh, you know, a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who's mm-hmm. been undercover um, and that he needs to uh, try to figure out a, a suitable replacement for the Palladium Corps. Um, we get the return of Coulson, who yep. is great. And we didn't talk about this in our Loki review, but uh, we I think we got our, our oh. final answer of Coulson's state within the MCU. Yeah. Uh, current. MCU. Uh, yeah, it, well, it's it like I said when we kind of talked about it was there was an opportunity there for them to canonize Agents of Shield, which I don't think Kevin Feige is ever going to do. Doesn't so like they they presented it and then they quickly like shut the door on it. So I think that's kind of the final word until we actually get an officially official, you know, anything, and it's probably never going to happen. No. And like I said, I'm not completely caught up on it. I think there's a couple seasons now that I haven't seen. 
I do feel like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did a really good job of keeping pace with the MCU up until a certain point. And then it was kind of like, I kind of understand that it's kind of off the rails at this it point. Was like a, it was like a relationship where like one partner was actually trying. And yeah. And the other partner was like, no. <laughs> no, like it's, it's over, <laughs> no, it's done. It's done. Like, she likes you more than you like her. He likes you more than, or, you know, vice versa, whatever. Right. And uh, we get the great line where uh, if you break perimeter, I'm going to tase you and uh, sit and watch Super Nanny. Let you drool into the carpet. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we got, of course, like Tony going through the old reels, finding the message from his dad, which again plays to that legacy uh, type thing that I felt like that's what they needed to explore more. And this doesn't seem to really focus on the legacy aspect. Yeah, because my one question from that whole scene is like, if you've had this canister or tub or whatever of this stuff all this time, and you know that that's what's happening, why did you not do this to him earlier? Like, why did you not pull him in earlier, give him the shot earlier and get him, you know, this information and these reels earlier? Well, they may have not necessarily known the effect the Palladium was having until the like the for party. sure. Yeah. yeah, like once once she saw once uh, uh, Natasha saw him kind of going ham on on Rhodey in the suits. That's when she's like, okay, yeah, got to bring the big guns in. Um, <laughs> so that's that's kind of my thinking on it. And obviously, like Tony didn't have access to to that stuff, so it's not like anything right. he could have discovered on his own. Right. That's um, like. Fury, hello, secret keeper, give it to him. (laughs) Yeah, I I think it would have more impact with with uh, like Civil War does a really good impact with the legacy. But I think that the legacy could have been that impact could have been more impactful had they had this been more focused on what we leave for our children or what we expect our children to do in the future. If when we're gone and kind of telling him that, like, hey, I'm held by the technology of my time. But mm-hmm. I see this bright future for you, and I think you will be able to achieve this. And it just conveniently happens to be the thing that saves his life. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think this kind of lack of – again, like we're saying, this is nascent MCU. So it's not like they knew that this was going to last as long as it did or right. um, you know, have such a big fan base. But I, I think if, if they – maybe it gone back and focused again a little bit more on the story. They could have easily worked that out because there are still seeds in there that are planted that really do kind of come into fruition later on. So it's not like it was not, it it, it didn't do what it needed to do, but if I feel like it could have done a little bit more. Um, yeah, like as far as when they give things and then don't do anything with it, like we talked about with the Hulk, yeah. Like we could have Whiplash come back at some point. I'd like to see what else happens to Hammer Technologies. Maybe now that he's been in prison, you know, or whatever. Right. Maybe now that pushes him to make something great or whatever. Like, but I feel like sometimes they just completely, you know, move forward and ignore other stuff that, you know, like could come back in some way, shape, or form. It would be nice. It would be fun. So uh, I, I have I've heard a little or no, I, I heard a little smatterings of what they might do with the Iron Man future, which would it, it makes perfect sense uh, if they go this way. So I will not be upset if they do this. And this isn't talking about the Iron Heart series, because that is something that they are working on. Um, but that if they do uh, another Iron Man, that it will be Harley from Iron Man three, which legit like logically makes sense. Uh, and it, it kind of, again, still follows in that legacy aspect a little bit, too. Um, but then if you do Harley, 
uh, and you have him making suits or, or working on suits or having a suit, it would be perfect to bring Justin back at that point, because then it's like, no, I thought I was rid of him. His he's still all around everywhere, but I'm <laughs> but he's gone. Yeah. So like I can take small revel in that, but now I've got this up and coming kid who's now continuing that legacy on. No, I'm going to step in there. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I'm going to create whatever I got to create, and and something like that. Instead of having him in the, although it's great, his little show up in the, um, Hail the King one shot. But um, yeah, it, it's. The, the, this all can still kind of like what I love about these early films is to see where they actually end up. And there's still, like I said, there's still a lot of stuff that they do carry on. And mm-hmm. with the retcon that will be coming up here in a little bit, um, it, it, it does even in a retcon aspect or even not in a retcon aspect, it, it still works really well. Um, but obviously hammer's not happy with the drones uh, he tries to think he can strong arm um, Ivan and uh, that doesn't quite work so well out <laughs> for the guards that were left watching him. And uh, Tony creates the new um, new core and gets the kind of triangle chest plate while also using the prototype Captain America shield to level <laughs> his particle beam to which even like Coulson's like, hey, do you know what this is? Being the uber Captain America <laughs> fan he is. Right. Uh, and and then we also get our hint of, hey, something's happening in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And at this point, we don't exactly exactly know uh, what's going on in New Mexico. So uh, that's it's a really interesting kind of sign off for for Phil at at this point in the film, because we're like, oh, okay, what's he going and doing? Yeah. Um, And now we basically get to the final fight, basically. Uh, All the drones that Ivan made are all slaves to him. And even Rhodey's war machine suit, which is amazing. It's like war machine has (laughs) always been like my favorite Iron Man suit. Um, And one of my favorite Iron Man characters that it was Great to see it pretty much straight from the comics into on onto the, the big screen, uh, even with the big minigun and everything on the on the shoulder. Uh, and Tony, of course, gets the call from Ivan. He goes there. Uh, we also get to see Justin's really cringe dance because he's trying to again <laughs> trying like to Tony. Tony. Yeah. And, and that's that that's a just missed opportunity that they could have done. Um, and then. The newspapers are going to have a, another problem. They're about to run out of ink and <laughs> crickets. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no one reacts to it. Because he just doesn't have that same charisma. No. Um, and yeah, so we basically we get the final fight. Uh, really great, great sequence. And this is kind of where I'm talking about. We have uh, a good top part of our bread and a bottom part of our bread. And we've just gone through all the like kind of junk in the middle. Um <laughs> Because the action sequences in this are great. They're just too few. Um, And when you kind of come into a sequel, sequel, you should have kind of bigger and better and better. You know, like that's the one thing I will say about even though like Captain America First Avenger is a war movie and it's almost action throughout the entire film. What it does with Winter Soldier is bigger, better and better. Like it, it, it ups that scale. And so 
I kind of expected that from Iron Man 2 and we get great sequences, but there's like two of them and they take <laughs> so far apart from each other. We get him mainly in the suit like th- three times the entire film, which is only one time more than the first film. So it's it's one of those problems. And that's what and you might disagree with me on this when we get to Iron Man three. When we get to Iron Man three, it's like Tony is not doesn't have a suit for like two thirds of the entire film. And I was never upset by it because of of his journey. So when I'm watching this, it's like I expect him to be in the suit more and I'm getting more Tony out of the suit. And that's where it just it just drags for me. Um, But yeah, we get the we get the great kind of, oh, that's the kill box. Like you go there to die, you know, type of stuff and and all that stuff. We get the great uh, Black Widow. um, Keep your eyes on the road. uh, Changing scene in the car with uh, with Happy. And then there I love it every time I watch this, though, it's like. Happy is going full out on the one guy and it takes like 10 minutes to finally defeat him. (laughs) And she's taken out every other security guard at Hammer Industries. Uh, And he's like, ah, I got him. And you got the guy like that's hanging out there is like hold nod for dear life. And everyone's out cold. Um, And then, of course, you know, Pepper understands that Tony was dying and didn't know he was dying and all that fun stuff. And uh, you get the final fight with with uh with whiplash and again like this is where although it's it's a kind of a cool suit but the fight is like two minutes long you know it, the ex-wife obviously doesn't work because it's hammer tech <laughs> um and i like the like the little like kind of fart noise it makes as it's puddling out in the water um just showing how complete of a dud it is and and, and you you really just don't get a fight there and and then he's gone. You know, he's he sets the drones to blow. Um, oh, we also while the drones are attacking, we have the kid again. Yeah. And the retcon here being that this kid is actually Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where I, I talk about a little bit again of Lake Legacy. This is I, I, my big theory, because we've seen Uncle Ben die like a million times by this point. Right. Um, <laughs> that within the MCU, even though Uncle Ben is already dead. Tony is Peter's Uncle Ben without being yeah. Uncle Ben, you know? Yeah, he really is. Uh, and I, I like that. Like, you you don't, you're not dismin- diminishing the importance of Uncle Ben, but you have someone who kind of comes in and is a, is a replacement Uncle Ben for a while and a, a teacher, a guider, a, fa- a father figure, mm-hmm. and, and someone that Peter completely looks up to. And then after Endgame, it's all the... How do I go on without him? Yeah. And, well, and Peter I think coming into a, his own. Sorry. I, I just think he's a really good role model for this Peter Parker, too. Yeah. Because we can see that this Peter Parker is very, like, techie. Whereas, um, not necessarily that, you know, Tobey Maguire or whatever, or um, Andrew Garfield. Gar- Garfield. Okay. Um, you know, not that they weren't as techie or whatever, but it's like, when we see Peter, he's coming in with like a hard hard drive or whatever, something that he's like picked out of the trash, you know, like he's, he's got all this stuff and he's, you know, like it, it makes sense that Tony Stark is somebody that this kid would look up to, you right. know, regardless of him doing his Spider-Man thing that he's like, like playing around with tech and, and all that is something that Peter Parker does like separate from Spider-Man, you know, like you separate kind of, 
Yeah. Like Clark Kent's just as important as Superman. Well, like it's, it's kind of like my argument with uh, Tom Holland uh, as, as Spider-Man. It's not really arguments. My, my opinion, Peter or uh, Toby Maguire was a great Peter Parker and he mm-hmm. was an okay Spider-Man. Like he delivered the quips and everything fine, but he was a better Peter Parker. Like he, he kind of played the nerd a lot. Yeah, better. And Andrew Garfield was and awesome. Andrew Garfield was the better Spider-Man because yeah. he was able to be quicker on the one lines, but he, just did not have the Peter Parker persona. Right. Tom Holland has both. Both. Yeah. You know, that was it, the it's, very first thing when I saw homecoming, I felt like as we were watching it, cause I mean, we get him a little bit in civil war, but when right. we saw homecoming, my initial first thought was like, I feel like I finally got an actual Peter Parker, Spider-Man. Like he is the character. And let's let's not lie. His Aunt May is a little bit easier on the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no disrespect to the other Aunt Mays. Um, but yeah, it, it's you're going to yeah, be it old was, one day. <laughs> I, I'm already like 82. I just happen to be 33 in real life. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it's, it's I'm sure we will have a, a very long discussion about that when we get to when we get to that point in our MCU uh, uh review series but uh so yeah it's you know that's basically you get to the end of the movie you get uh him uh debriefing with fury and what i like about kind of this scene is not not only do you have and i never i never noticed this until it was told to me later you have the shots from incredible hulk after the attack at the university Mm -hmm. um but you have the map and the map has all these pinpoints on it and you have the one in Africa, which I would assume would be for Wakanda. You have one in New Mexico. You have one in California. You have one uh, in New York, um, as, which would probably be where Cap's body is at this point. In you know maybe because we got Thor coming up, right. uh, so it's kind of nice like to see this. They've got these things on there. You know, that's not specifically said, but it's like oh, this all makes sense when you look at it from a, a puzzling perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, you get his, oh, see, I'm recommended for for Iron Man. And, uh, <laughs> well, no, we get to the narcissist. Uh, he's a textbook narcissist. narcissist. Agreed. Totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then you recommend Iron Man, but you don't recommend Tony. And, again, this kind of comes to that growth uh, thing that we see that, especially by the time we get to Avengers, but definitely by the time we get to Endgame, Like Tony is not everything that that dossier had him out to be at the beginning. Yeah. And it's great to see that character growth. And it makes it allows it to make more sense why he's the one at the end snapping, mm-hmm. you know, versus versus it being Cap or Thor, because really he is the backbone for this entire franchise and for this universe that was created is, is Tony. And it's only logical that it would be Tony there at, at Endgame. Right. So then we get our post credit scene <laughs> and uh, something has, has, uh, has landed in New Mexico. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's Mjolnir. And I, I love you because it's so simplistic in, in what it does. Cause it's just Coulson so we find mm-hmm. out why Coulson went to New Mexico and him just calling Fury and going, it's here. Yep. And that's it. Like, there's no other context. You see the hammer, you hear some thunder, and that's it. Just cut the black and in credits. Um, 
I, I love it. It's one of the best. I think one of the best, even though I like like really ones that hook you and, and maybe a little bit longer. This one's just straight hook. I remember in theaters, like when I saw saw that hammer, I was like, I need Thor now. Like yeah. I now <laughs> You're doing Thor. Yeah. Right. Like I, I want to see it. And I I don't know about you and I'm sure it'll be for an interesting discussion, but I am a big defender of the first Thor film. Um, I like the first Thor film. OK, so it won't be that much of a. Cause I, but I'm one of the people who I think you're either you're either a person who watched it and loved Thor and hated Loki, or you watched it and loved Loki and hated Thor. And I'm a person who watched it and loved Loki and hated Thor. Okay, well, I'm I I can't say I did either. <laughs> um, going back kind of to the Bane thing, like it 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 took a character I didn't have really any interest in, mm-hmm. and. It made him interesting, um, even though it's a very simplistic story and we won't go into detail because we need to save that for the next episode. Right. Uh, but it, it was one of those ones where I was like, even even though, like, yes, that in credit scene had me going, I want to see Thor. It wasn't like I want to see Thor because I love the character of Thor. Yeah. I want to see this next entry and see where then that leaves the stepping stones to Captain America and then to Avengers. And then after coming out of it was like, oh my God, I really love Thor, which is why Thor Dark World was such a disappointment to me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so now we're going to go ahead. Uh, I don't have any other things to say uh, other than, um, did you ever want to know how Tony pees in the suit? (laughs) This is the way you know. Um, And yeah, I've been kind of harsh on it, but also it does have its really strong moments. It does some really good character work. It's villains needed more work. And I think that that's where my primary criticism lies in on it. Um, but I, I think that it's good for what we got. I will I will watch it uh, several times in the future. Uh, but it's just out of the three Iron Man centric films. It's just my least favorite. Yeah, Any kind of final thoughts from you? No, not really. It did give rise to one of the memes that I like where he's standing on the roof, you know, like I thought I did okay. And everything's on fire behind him. Like, I love that meme. Um, you know, again, like I enjoyed the movie. I don't feel like it's terrible. I feel like there are worse outings than this one. So, Uh, you know, (laughs) we've got a ways (laughs) to get there. (laughs) That's going to be a fun one because that will be the third time we'll have covered it for for uh, the podcast. But the first time I will be covering it with someone else. So OK, <laughs> that, that's going to be because I did. A, I did because actually it was one of the first episodes of the podcast. Uh, I believe it was actually the very first episode of the podcast. And I had very strong opinions about that movie. <laughs> and then I decided to revisit it a little bit later, I think uh, around the time of Infinity War or uh, in between Infinity War and Endgame that I was like, well, kind of want to go ahead and revisit. And I was a little bit lighter on it, uh, not as hard as as the first time, but it will be interesting to actually have like a full on. I mean, we've had these discussions, but it'll be interesting <laughs> to have a full on discussion for the podcast with someone else and get their opinion on it. Yeah. Uh, so scores, do you want me to go or do you want to go first? I don't know. Like I'm rolling around two different numbers in my head. I don't know. I'm feeling like so three, wanna... and a, three and a half. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm pretty much between that two. I'm between a three and a three and a half. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Um, 
And I mean, like like we've said, it's it's not a bad film, but it, it's it's certainly. It, it, to me, it's one of the first of the mediocres. And there's a few. And, and and by saying that they're mediocre, I don't mean that they're they're mediocre for Marvel movies. They're yeah. not necessarily mediocre films in the grander context or the grander scheme. Um, right. There are just some things that I, I wish that they would have done a little bit differently. Uh, I, I just the spending too much on kind of the moping Tony is what I don't really like about it. And I think it really just kind of detracts from the rest of the film and, and the lack of really developing the two villains. Cause you've got two really good actors, but you tried to make, you know, you try, you, you would have had something if you could have focused on one and then save the other one for another film and, mm-hmm. and, and built it up there where it, instead you kind of have them two and they kind of button heads and they don't really gel together. And it, <laughs> it allows, it allows them to kind of both like just kind of cancel each other out in their complexity, much like you said with wonder woman 84, it's, yeah. it's just like you, when you get, we, we've seen it with the Spider-Man films, like, when they start do- throwing in like three villains in, and then there's like a fourth secret boss who's the real <laughs> villain of it all. It's like, it's, it's outside of much. a Sinister Six f- uh, film. Like that's just not something that's going to really work because right. you can't give them enough time to really develop their, their backstory or the type of villain, which I will say like Iron Man three, when we talk about that does a little bit better on developing its villain and, and making it more impactful and actually more tied to Tony than, than even Ironmonger or whiplash. So, yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it. Right. Yeah. I can't think right. of anything else. All right. Well, uh, we no hope birds are, were harmed in the making of that. No movie. birds were harmed. <laughs> um, but plenty of men seem to have been harmed for the bird. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I hope we hope you guys are enjoying this uh, this franchise review. I'm actually enjoying this a lot more than I thought I would, uh, <laughs> even though I'm the one who proposed the idea in the first place. Uh, I also think um, experience them watching them in 4K for the first time too. Uh, of these earlier ones is is almost like watching it brand new, because that's one thing that um, I could have like had the. I know I had like the last like 40 minutes to finish before we were recording today. And I was like, I could put it on while I'm working, but then I've got divided attention and we saw how well that worked with my Loki (laughs) review. Um, But I'm like, but I really want to finish the rest of it in 4k because it looks really good in 4k. I was like, nah, I'm watching it on my lunch and, and enjoying it. And uh, I think that's part of part of the reason why I'm enjoying it. Also it's, it's been a while. And watching them in our release order and everything like that's been been kind of fun, uh, especially like picking up on these little things that I know play out later on. Um, mm-hmm. So. All right, guys, uh, that's going to do it. Uh, we hope you enjoy the two episodes this week. If you're listening to this one first, you're crazy. Go listen to our Loki. <laughs> Go listen <review>. to Loki. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we had fun recording that one, too. It's, it's been a it's. It's been a long day for us uh, on recording. Yeah. Uh, although you get this in two episodes, we've been recording for about three hours straight. Yeah. Um, with a with a brief little break in between. Uh, but yeah, go check out Loki. Uh, I think you'll enjoy that review. Uh, we had some fun talking about it. Uh, we have some very high expectations for the series based on this first episode. Maybe we're the only ones who have those expectations. We'll we'll find I don't out. Think so. <laughs> um, because it seems to be a little bit 
in the air. And uh, yeah, you can expect these uh, pretty much these Marvel reviews for the next couple months just because they're easier for us to sit down and watch. Like Leslie's got her copies. I've got my copies. Uh, and considering we're in our peak season at work, uh, it's hard to kind of go and find new content. I mean, we've got plenty of new content that we could cover, but it's easier to sit down and kind of rewatch something. So even though we may not pay a hundred, hundred percent attention, like we know it well enough that like I can go get, get coffee while I'm listening <laughs> to be playing in the background for five seconds. Uh, so yeah, that's probably what you'll be seeing the rest of these couple months until we get back to nice and smooth sailing at work. Um, but if you want to support the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at critics, NT cynics, uh, on Facebook at Critics Not Cynics Podcast. Um, you can write into the podcast. Let us know what you think of our, our reviews. Uh, are you watching these along with us or uh, are you revisiting now that we're discussing these films? Because you seem to be doing pretty well um, from listeners. So we'd like to hear a little bit from you. And if you want to give us your thoughts, you can write into the podcast at Critics Not Cynics at gmail.com. I promise I'm checking it more frequently than I used to. And they'll have like a thousand unread old emails in there. Um, but I'm, I'm oh trying gosh. to keep an eye on it for anything that's for the podcast. Um, and uh, you can listen to the podcast on any service. Uh, we're on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Audible, Amazon Music, anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, and if you like what we do, just uh, leave us a rating review. It really helps us get uh, spread around. Uh, I know we got some big things planned in the future, Pat, even though I uh, trashed him for not being here <laughs> at the beginning of the episode. Uh, he is looking into some stuff for uh, streaming uh, to YouTube. So that is we're finally making some moves uh, towards getting that done. So uh, we I probably won't be till next year. I know I think I said at the end of last year that it would be this year, but you know, life gets in the way. Um, a pandemic happened. Pandemic happened. Yeah. Well, a whole bunch of stuff has happened and just, <laughs> it's not cheap. Um, and we're doing this all on our own, but, uh, I, I am proud to at least announce that I know we have, uh, the person that's going to be taking over social media. He and I will be meeting soon. He's going to be also kind of, uh, having someone redesign our logo for us. Uh, and, uh, we might have some new, uh, intro music. And if maybe I can convince some outro music to play as well. Uh, so we got some stuff in the works. It just might take some times. We got to remember it's a marathon. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, we will talk to you next time.